It's such a significant Sunday. As Pastor Lori mentioned, it is Pentecost Sunday. And so before we dive into today's talk, which is going to be found in Acts chapter 2, as we've been doing a lot of times here, a hands up, a little emoji in the chat, because last Sunday we have five more stories. Five people gave their lives to Jesus, and we want to celebrate that as a church. So come on, everyone, if you've never chatted before, hands up, little emoji, hands up in the chat. If you can't do emojis, just write the words, hands up, just engage it. We'd love to see us celebrating all together as a church, just what Jesus is doing in this season. You know, uh, they tell us everywhere they can, they tell us everywhere they can, especially in Canada, how religion is dying. It is dying across the vine. At Life Center, though, we're seeing something differently. But also for me, I also see it differently. You know, I would say that religion isn't dying in Canada. It is just shifting. It is shifting from things that we have known to different things. And so today we are steeped and we are drowning, not in no religion, but in replacement religion. And we are seeing glimpses of it everywhere. We're seeing glimpses of it everywhere from the polarization on social media now to the shaming of people. All of these things that we're seeing, I think we're actually more pious. There's a writer by the name of David Zoll who wrote a book called Secularosity who says that we're more pious now than maybe any time in history. And it's why in this season, many people are just struggling with enoughness. Are they enough? And again, you see it everywhere during this pandemic. You see language like, man, you've never had more time, so why don't you come out of it better? And it's just this language of shame. All your excuses have been taken away, and it heaps all this pressure, again, to come out of the pandemic better or different or at least, you know, um, more improved, whatever it is, because again, the religion of today is progress. And if you're not making progress, then what good are you? But it's not the God of Scripture, because the God of Scripture, what we're about to see, is not rooted only in human progress, but it's rooted in God's presence. And it's different. You know, as I mentioned a moment ago, David Zoll, here's what he says. The truth is that the higher we climb the ladder of self-justification, the longer it gets and the further apart the rungs grow. And that's what we're feeling in culture. That's what we're feeling all around us. But as I made mention of, Jesus had a better plan. And aren't you glad that he did? A better way for us. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, here's what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven, from where? Not from within side of themselves, not from within their collective unity, not from within their imagination. No, a sound from heaven. So from not where they were, from somewhere outside, a sound came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't, it's just that's what it sounded like. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. If you think back to the Old Testament for the Jewish people, how God would lead them with a pillar of fire by night. And now there's this moment in Pentecost with all of these Jewish believers, about 120 in this upper room. And it wasn't a singular you know, fire that was falling, but it rested on each one of them. So it wasn't just God was now out there, but he was personal and he was close. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
You know, the truth is that we all carry many things in our lives. All of us engaging today carry many things, just like those who were in the upper room. Uh, the 120 who were in the upper room, they were men, they were women. Uh, they came from different generations, different life experiences. Some, like Peter, walked really, really close to Jesus. And others in the 120 um, followed Jesus, but they followed him actually you know, back. They weren't in the inner three. They weren't in the 12. They were a part of a larger circle. So again, their experiences with Jesus were different. So they didn't have, again, they, they, they didn't all come from the same life experience, but they all had the same thing, which was a shared surrender. So today, as we're watching, as we're engaging this service, all in our houses, in our living rooms, maybe at a cottage or on your mobile phone, wherever you are, it's, it's not that experience that bonds us, but it is our shared surrender to Jesus. The five people who gave their lives to Jesus and then this week are joining us. It is our together, our shared experience of what God, our shared surrender, I should say, of what God can do that is so significant. Before ascending into heaven, here's what Jesus says. He says, but you will receive power. In the chat, write the word power. Let's go for it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then in that moment, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, which includes Cornwall, Canada, Orleans, Blackburn, Gatineau. We're the ends of the earth where the gospel message has moved. But it is this epicenter of what the Holy Spirit does here in the book of Acts that is so significant that we're looking at today. And so again, they wait. And as they wait in the upper room, as Jesus says, I want you to wait in this upper room. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you're going to be filled with power. Then you're going to be my witnesses. Think about it for a moment. The message of Jesus they've heard, the parables of Jesus they've heard, the miracles they've seen, the cross has happened, the resurrection has happened. So why not just with all of that information, with all that story, just go. Jesus says, all of that is extraordinary, but you need the Holy Spirit. You need something from the outside to transform something on the inside of you in order to be my witnesses that it's not just retelling history. It is telling a grand story that is transformative for every heart and every life that you need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in order for you to be filled with these spiritual gifts, filled with the Spirit of God in order to make a Jesus-sized difference in the world in which we live. And I want you again notice that Jesus didn't say to them, go to the upper room and spend 120 days in teaching and training and, and get all the things in a line and make sure you work out all your bullet points and work on your stuff on the inside. No, he didn't say, you know, work on maybe when you feel enough, when you feel good enough, then go share the gospel. It's not what he said. What he said is wait until you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with power, because Jesus also said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to remind us of everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus was. There is no division or dichotomy between God. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he serves and reminds us of everything that Jesus said, as I'm going to read in just a moment. And so they wait for the Holy Spirit. Again, initially an outside source that brings inside transformation. And so today, where do many of us look when we want to bring transformation or change to our lives? Oftentimes, we are maybe are inspired by an outside source, but then we only look internal. We look at maybe where we are to where we're not, where we desire to be. And those are good things. Those are good things. 
But the heart of today is that you and I can have someone, not just a something, that the Holy Spirit can dwell on the inside of us, that our lives are not rooted in our enoughness, that he reminds us of the all-sufficiency of Jesus, the all-sufficiency of Christ, that our lives are anchored in something that is greater than just our vision, our perspective, what we see, what we think, what we feel, what we believe, that the Holy Spirit reminds us who we are in Christ, what Jesus has done for us, everything that is available to us. Friends, you and I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives to overcome our own inadequacies or insecurities, our own sin struggles and fallen nature. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to remind us of everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done. I'm getting a little fired up this morning. I hope it's all good. You know, there's a better way. There's a better way that Jesus said than just looking at the outside. Here's what a pastor by the name of Jack Hayford says. The Holy Spirit's power must be received. It is not an automatic experience. As surely as the Holy Spirit indwells each believer, so surely will he fill and overflow each who receives the Holy Spirit in childlike faith. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you will know it. Jesus said it, and the disciples and the 120 in the upper room found it to be true. As I said a moment ago, we all carry many things, and we will for the entirety of our lives. We carry faith, and we carry fear. We carry healing, and we also carry hurts. We carry hope in our hearts, and also disappointments, and sometimes despair. Yet as followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, we have a different source. And so what did Jesus say, again, was one of the most fundamental things, as I've already alluded to just a moment ago, that the Holy Spirit would continually do in our lives. Comfort us, yes. Make us, you know, look to Jesus, yes. But no, this is what he said is the fundamental thing the Holy Spirit does. In John 15, 26 to 27, but when the helper another name for the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Do you see the community heart of God there? The community heart of the Trinity? The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness, Jesus said, about me. And then again, same thing. And then you will also bear witness. You will testify. You will tell the story like we're hearing all the stories today. You will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the Holy Spirit. Now, a spirit-filled life is one transformed then by a higher truth or a greater authority than just finding within ourselves. Again, remember what Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, we don't go insular, we look outward. One of the measures that we, our lives have been touched by the Holy Spirit is we begin to look at the world in a different way. One of the measures that our lives are filled with the Holy Spirit is a love and a compassion for the world in which we find ourselves, the city that we live in, the neighborhoods that we're a part of, the workplaces, the family. We don't just see people through the same fallen lens. We see them through a lens of faith. We see them through a lens of hope. And we pick up this mission, this beautiful calling filled with the Holy Spirit, not again to go insular, but to look at the world around us and to share the story of Jesus and to bear witness about him. You know, going back to, into Acts chapter 2, while all 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit, 
Here's what the scripture says. It says that all 120 in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire appeared, and they began speaking in other tongues. All 120, not just the men, the women as well, all, everybody in that room. But it also says that when God began to move, as God brought renewal to their lives and revival in the 120, that there was an awakening in the city. But this is the central thing that you see is that everybody, even in the surrounding region that day, experienced this sudden move of God. They just had no idea what was happening. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed. And they said to one another, what does this mean? This is the question. What does this mean? If Jesus is then what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my life? What does it mean for society? What does it mean for the world in which we live? This is when we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You and I give testimony, tell stories. Man, when Jesus touched my life, this is what it meant. This is what Jesus saved me from, but this is what Jesus saved me for. It is this beautiful testimony, not of how great I am, not that I'm the hero of my story, but who Jesus is and what he has done. You know, I want you to think about Peter in this story. He was one of the 120. Now, he's had quite, quite the rough couple of months, hasn't he? He's been following Jesus really close, and then he's also failed Jesus real big. And Jesus restores Peter. And here's the question. How does Jesus restore Peter? By holding him accountable. You know, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, which is another role of the Holy Spirit, it is not because he doesn't love us. It is because he loves us so much. We need accountability in our lives. We need a higher authority and outside truth, which is God's word to bring conviction to our hearts when we fall short, when we have behavior that's crooked, when we trespass one another or trespass, ultimately when we trespass one another, we're trespassing God. And in that moment, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, my father, a number of years ago, used an analogy analogy that I've never forgotten. He used the analogy of if you're going to put up a wall, you have a level on it. And if you put the level on the wall, even if you've done a ton of work and you see that the wall is not true, it's not plumb, you have two options. You can repair and fix the wall or you can bend the level. And if you bend the level, it will save you initial time, but you only have a headache coming down the road. Too many of us love and fall in love with bending the level. Church, don't bend the level. Let the Holy Spirit bring conviction to your heart, to your life, just like Jesus does to Peter's life. He absolutely restores him, but he doesn't restore him just by saying, it's all okay. Peter denies him three times, and so Jesus confronts him one time, two times, three times, restores him. And then actually, if you read the story of his restoration, Jesus says to Peter that if you continue to follow me and feed my lambs and love my lambs and feed my sheep, if you do all these things, you're gonna lose your life. And at that moment, Peter says, okay, like I'm okay if I lose my life as long as everybody else loses their life. And Jesus says to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. It is this beautiful moment of full grace and full truth. And so again, a few months ago, when a servant girl whispers to Peter, just a few months ago, hey, weren't you one who associated with Jesus? He absolutely buckles. His enoughness isn't enough. 
but now he has been restored by Jesus but not only restored by Jesus, but he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so now he does not on, on this day, on the day of Pentecost, he doesn't buckle. He is so brave, but I love what it says. This is so significant. It says in Acts 2 verse 14, but Peter standing with the 11, who stands with you? Who do you stand with? It says, but Peter but now he's not standing alone. Remember, what happens when Jesus is arrested? They all scatter. And now they've learned from it. And so now there is this commotion. And it's not like it's easy for them to go public as followers of Jesus. There is still crisis. There's still all of these things. But rather than scattering, when they are now filled with the Holy Spirit, there is this community. There is this unity that is not natural, that is supernatural. And they stand together. And it says, Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and he addressed them. He said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, an earmark or a mark that our lives that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit is not only as we begin to speak in tongues, it is not only that we have an experience in God. So often we as the church, we stop there. But no, no, no. When you read the book of Acts, they look at the world in which they're in and they answer the question that culture begins to ask, what does this mean? That we as a church pick up the burden and the mantle to answer the question, what does it mean again if Jesus is who he is? That we don't do it out of obligation, that we have this empowerment, these spiritual gifts that God gives us to answer that question to a culture that is asking, what does this mean? That we engage it with our whole hearts. Peter goes on to quote from the prophet Joel, talks about David, and he shows how it all points to Jesus, how Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And now I want you to watch the next question that they ask. It says, now when they heard, heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the apostles, and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So the first question is, what does this mean? And then they hear the message of the gospel. And now Peter says to them, this is what you need to do in response to this. Really important questions. What does this mean? We talk about it, then what am I supposed to do? And Peter says this, repent, turn from the way that you're living. You're going in this direction, turn the other direction and believe every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then watch what he says, something that happened to him just moments ago and you will receive the gift, the empowerment, the filling of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and your children and their children. Oh, sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. But this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, us and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And God said in the person of Jesus, his heart is that not one would perish. So again, between what does this mean and what shall we do, we need to point people to Jesus. And also we need to point them to the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, as followers of Jesus in this season, let's not only be pointing people to our opinions or politics or preferences, but let's point them to the person of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, if I go back a few verses, here is one of my favorite passages in Acts chapter 2. And it says in Acts 2 verse 40, as Peter is preaching, it says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. That's another way of save yourself from sin. Save yourself 
from trying to save yourself. That's really what he is saying here in the text. But if I use my sanctified imagination, I love that it says Peter used many other words. I want you to think about Peter for a moment because Peter has known both faith and he has known failure. He's known following and he's known falling short. He has known buckling under pressure and now being brave. He has known what it is to experience the grace of God and the truth of Jesus confronting his heart to grow him up to be the man that he is destined to be, to fulfill the promise when Jesus saw him on a seashore one day and said, follow me. Your job's to follow me. My job is to make you something that you cannot be outside of me. I'm gonna make you not a fisher of fish, but a fisher of men. And here he is in Acts chapter two, filled with the Holy Spirit, all of these experiences in Jesus, everything that he's experienced now, full of the Holy Spirit. And what is he doing? He is fishing for men. He doesn't do it perfectly if you know his story moving forward because that's never the goal. The goal always isn't progress, but what he has and who he has with him is the presence of God. He has the presence of the Holy Spirit and in complete in his calling, anchored in his calling now, he is being and doing what Jesus said, I will make you into this. But he needed the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So when followers of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit fully do his work in their hearts. The results are breathtakingly beautiful. They're profound. Spiritual gifts are activated. People come to know Christ. The awe of God and the reverence of God is restored. Radical generosity is unleashed. If you keep going, it says that they shared everything amongst one another. That is not socialism. That is not an ism. That is what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our hearts, when something from the outside or someone from the outside brings transformation on the inside. It changes the way we look at the world and it changes the kingdom that we live into. Don't make that a political system. That is the antithesis of a political system. It is a move of God. And the kingdom of God shows up on earth. And so watching today, what does this mean for you? Well, it means the love of God towards your life is more personal than you could ever imagine. And what shall we do? What should you do? What should I do? If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, turn, repent from self-help. Turn from it. Turn from self-salvation. Turn from your own empowerment, trying to make yourself enough through repentance. Surrender your heart to Jesus on this day. But you know what? Don't stop at surrender. Don't stop at turning. Open your heart to be filled for the first time or afresh with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit as you and I as the church, as we see in Acts chapter 2, it is not only speaking in tongues, it is absolutely transformed hearts, lives that look outward at the world in which they live, that they look through a different lens. And here's what I would say that I desire for my life and I pray for yours, that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are led more by Jesus and we are passionate to live more like Jesus and we are empowered to lead more people to Jesus. And it starts with a simple shared surrender, not a shared life experience, a shared surrender. 
So wherever we're watching today, let's pray. I'd be honored to lead you in prayer. And let's all pray. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I turned from sin and self-salvation and I turn to you. Holy Spirit, just like in Acts 2, fill me to overflowing today. In Jesus' name, amen.